welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 and just continue our sermon series that we've been in over the last several weeks. And if you'd like to take notes, the title of the message this morning is, You Are Complete in Him. You are complete in him. And so as, as I was studying through this, we're going to see it in just a moment, but Paul's writing to a, a bunch of people that did not, he didn't know their name. They had never met. He'd never been to the church at Colossae. They, he had never actually gone face to face, had a Bible study with them, worship service, anything like that. And it reminds me of a time in my life that was pretty humbling. So back, back up 10, 11 years, I got called into ministry about 10, 11 years ago. And right after that, I just was encouraged by people just to begin listening to sermons, uh, learning from other churches as, as much as I possibly could. And there was a, uh, there's a church down in Florida that I just, I listened to everything they put out. So every podcast, every sermon they would put on a podcast, so Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I would listen to everything. And so this church then, and even now has really shaped and impacted my faith, um, my, my beliefs, like my delivery, those types of things. And so I hold these guys in really high regard. So about five, six years ago, we took our students to a new camp and we knew that this was gonna be a little bit better of a camp. It was gonna have better facilities, um, a little bit bigger. And as our youth group was growing, we knew that one, we had to get out of Dirty Myrtle, amen. And then two, we had to go to a better place where we can just really uh, have the camp be uh, fulfilled in the vision that we had. And so we get down to this place and one of the things that they wanted to make really clear was that we wouldn't be the only youth group down there, but it would be uh, such, a, it's such a big place that you would feel like you were. So they didn't want us to be surprised by knowing that there were other church vans and church buses and students running around and um, just wanted to kind of give us that disclaimer. So we knew that and about the second day, I saw on one of the vans the name of this church. And so I began to think like, man, this is cool. Like, first of all, we're going to the same place. So that kind of made me feel better just trying to figure out ministry. So I'm like, all right, at least I made a good decision by bringing them here. But then I just started thinking, I was like, I wonder if those pastors are here. Like, I wonder if, if my guys are here. And I, I, the camp kind of went on. We never really saw them much. But come Wednesday or Thursday that week, I I. I'm talking to a volunteer and we're in the calf. This person is just telling me about all the things that they'd seen God do that week. And it was like a heavenly light just shone right down in the middle of that calf. There was like a cool breeze flowing through there, an angelic choir just singing ah, like that right there. And in walks this role model of mine. I see him and I look at that volunteer. I said, you need to be quiet right now. I got somewhere to be probably wasn't that same tone, but I really did say that because I just got nervous. And if you know anything about me, if I think somebody is like relatively important or relatively famous, like I lose it, like lose all consciousness. And it is awkward and even more uncomfortable than I normally am. So I see this guy, I walk over to him. I'm like, all right, play it cool, play it cool. Right. So I just go to him. I say, Hey man, like, I just want you to know, you don't know who I am but I really appreciate your ministry. I've been listening to you for the last six, seven years, and you have just really made a big impact on my life. So really just know, man, thank you for your faithfulness. It means a lot to see a guy that's a little bit ahead of me, like being faithful to the word of God. And I just kind of shared that with him. And I was like, I hope you guys have a good week. And so he was super gracious and just looked back and he's like, well, man, what's your name? Like, if I can ever be a help to you, I would love to, to help you any way I can. How about take my phone number and shoot me a text? Well, 
in my mind, I'm thinking, he doesn't know it yet, but we're going to be best friends. And so I'm like, this is awesome. So like after we got home, I, I, I was texting him a little bit and I would text him about every month and kid you not, like I had him on the phone, like every other month, just running ministry decisions by him. I even had him come and preach here at this church two different times. Fast forward about 18 months. It's his anniversary at this church. And I see it on social media and I'm like, man, this is, this is a cool opportunity for me to just like, let him know, like again, like how much he means to me. So I take out my phone, I start crafting a message. I have Haley edit it. I send it to like a publishing company to edit it too, put it in Grammarly, make sure it's, you know, succinct, but also pulls on the heartstrings a little bit, you know? I look, I'm like, Haley, is this good? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, hey, no, you're gonna continue to be weird or are you gonna send that message? And I said, yeah, <laughs> two birds, one stone kind of thing, you know? So. I send the message and I go to put my phone down and we're sitting on the couch this Sunday afternoon. I go to put my phone down and I see like on iMessage, you know how when you know somebody's texting you back, you'll see a little bubble come up with the three um, little dots or whatever. And I look at Haley, I was like, he's about to hit me back up. And she's like, stop being weird. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right, you're right. So I'll, I'll play it cool. I put my phone down and I kind of sit back on the couch and about that time my phone vibrates and about five seconds later, my watch goes off. So I'm like, my, my man, my best friend, he just texts me back. I look at my watch and I was like, no, 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 no. Hey, he's like, what's going on? What's the matter? She's like, did you send it to the wrong person? I'm like, no, it's worse than that. I pull my phone up to see if it's like transcribed the same way. I open the message. I show Haley, I show Haley this text and the text just simply read, thanks Hampton. That's it. My name's not Hampton. Dude preached here two times. I went to lunch with him four times. I text him all the time. Like he didn't even know my name. In that, I, there's a lot, there's a lot of things I can throw at you just from what I learned that day. But um, one of the things, this sermon illustration was not shared because, um, because, you know, sometimes in a church this size, it's hard to remember everybody's name. One of the things that stood out to me though, is that you can have a really impactful and effective ministry without knowing someone's name, Right? He didn't really know my name. And it's one of those things where like, we're still friends. He probably think maybe it's Henry now. I don't know. I don't care what he calls me as long as I can be his friend, right? And I just, I learned that you can have a really effective ministry without ever knowing somebody's name and you can make a great impact. Now, Paul, he's never met these people, but he's sharing with them through chapter one, how Jesus is preeminent. He's sharing with them that in Christ, we are unreprovable, unblameable, holy. He shares with them that it is Christ in you, which is the hope for glory. And he's just laying it all out there. And now he gets to the part in this letter where he just simply acknowledges it. Yeah, you've never seen me face to face, but there are some things that I want you to know that I'm concerned on your behalf for. And so here in Colossians chapter two, even though Paul had never met these people, he was gonna lay out a few concerns for them to, not only grow in and be aware of, but he wanted to remind them that even though they didn't, he didn't know their names and, and they didn't really know him, there is one who does know their names and he wants them to be complete in him. 
So here in Colossians chapter two, I wanna ask if you would stand to your feet in honor and reverence of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and sufficient word. This is our final authority. This is what gives us life. This is what guides us through life. This is the lamp to our feet and the light into our path. And we believe this is sufficient for us yesterday, today, and even tomorrow because the Bible says about itself, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And so Paul says this in Colossians chapter two, He says, for I would that you knew what great affliction I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Another way to translate the end of that, he's like, I want you to know the mystery of God. The mystery of God is Jesus. It's him. Everything you need to know about salvation, life, eternity is all found in Jesus. And he keeps going. He doubles down in verse three. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, So walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, and after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power." Father, we really believe that Jesus is enough. But God, we just pray that you'd help our unbelief. God, we know that Christ is sufficient to save. We know that he's sufficient to sanctify. And God, we know that one day he's gonna glorify us. But we just pray that today, in the meantime, before you come back, you would encourage us from your word, that our hearts would be broken over the truth, that we would run to the truth of scripture, that we would be weary and and wary of spiritual deception, but God, that we would also be Christians committed to continuing to walk in you. So God, we pray that you would speak. God, I admit that I cannot do this. So I ask that you would hide me behind your cross and that you would move in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. To not know somebody and then just to walk into their life and say, Hey, I have some concerns for you is a pretty bold move. Imagine the Amazon driver knocking on your front door saying, hey, you don't know me, I don't know you, but I have some concerns about you. Be pretty uncomfortable, right? Imagine somebody that you just walk through a pass in the grocery store and they look at you and they go, hey, do you, do I know you? No, I don't know you. Let me just tell you some concerns I have for you. That would be pretty weird, pretty uncomfortable. However, Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, and being uh, just a part of his work and, and a pastor and a missionary, even though he didn't know these believers personally, he knew what they were facing. And even though he didn't know what they, what they looked like, what their names were, he wanted to encourage them with some things that could help strengthen their faith. So the question that I wanna try to answer this morning is even though Paul didn't know them, what was he so concerned about with this group? What did Paul want to accomplish in this portion of his letter. I want to show you three things this morning in the time that we have. And the first thing I want you to notice about Paul in his letter in this portion is that Paul, number one, 
agonizes over their scriptural beliefs. Paul agonizes over their scriptural beliefs. Now down here in verse one, he says, I wish you know, knew, I want you to know what great conflict I have for you. Now it would make sense for Paul to rattle off some of his circumstances that he's faced. It would make sense that this great conflict that I've had in life comes from preaching the gospel faithfully. And I want you to know the great conflict I'm in right now is the fact that I'm in prison. Or he could have easily said, hey man, I hadn't had a good meal in quite some time. And that's the great conflict that I'm feeling. But Paul is not worried about his circumstances. The conflict that Paul is, is wanting to communicate to these believers is he is concerned, he's agonizing over that what they scripturally believe, what they believe about the word of God and what they're standing on and what they're building their lives on. See, for Paul, he could have easily said, man, I'm, I'm really struggling in this prison cell. I'm really struggling chaining this guard. He could have easily said something along those lines, but no, he says, my agony, this great conflict I have for you is about what you believe. Now, as Paul agonizes over their scriptural beliefs, notice just a few things here. One, Paul expresses his agony. Down there in verse one, he, he says, I want you to know the great conflict. Look at this. I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face. So Paul is saying, I'm concerned for you, even though I don't know what you look like, where you're from, your address, what your name is. Paul's concerned and what he models for us is this burden for other believers in local communities, in our state, in our nation, in our world. This is important. John MacArthur said this, Paul's burden was not predicated on the people in the pews, but it was predicated on the one that died for the people in the pews. Where did his burden come from? His burden came from his deep love for Jesus. Because Jesus loved the church, Paul loved the church. Because Jesus loved these people, Paul loved these people. Because Jesus loved the truth, Paul loves the truth. And so Paul's heart is aligned with Jesus's heart. So for you and I, what we should understand is we've got to be concerned with the kingdom of God. Amen? We can't be naive to think that the only place God is moving is right here at 101 Pisgah Road. Our hearts should be burdened for other believers that they would be a part of united, scripturally-based churches. Listen, if they have great music, that's awesome. If they have great uh, programs, that's awesome. But the thing that we, our hearts should be burdened for is that other believers around our community, our state, our world, and our, and our, and our nation and our world is that they're a part of a local body of believers that loves the truth of God and is building that from the ground up. You see, that's what Paul was agonizing over. So he was concerned with what they believed. So not only is he concerned and expressing his agony, but look what he says in verse two. Paul, in his agony, he's encouraging unity. Notice that Paul encourages unity. So he says, I have this great conflict for all of you. Look at this in verse two, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. What comforts our heart as believers? God's word right? What greater comfort can we find outside of the Holy Spirit and God's word? Go to God's word and the Holy Spirit will begin to do a work of cleansing and renewing and, and equipping you. Go to God's word and his word will show you the steps to take. Go to God's word and his word will give you the wisdom that you need. What greater place to find comfort is through God's word. 
So he's saying, I hope that your hearts will be comforted through what? Scripture being knit together. So not only is it an individual work, but our hearts should be knit together with other believers that are like-minded and that are seeking the same truth, the truth that we're seeking. Listen, Jordan Hunt is one of my best friends. Chance Brown is one of my best friends. I love these guys. But one of the things that unites us more than anything else is not that we like sports, not that we uh, like being outside, nothing like that. The thing that unites us more than anything is the fact that our hearts have been comforted individually and now we're joining together in love with the same union. So he's saying, I am encouraging unity. And see, there's a big difference between uniformity and unity. There's a lot of churches out there that look united, but really what they're hiding under is just uniformity. They talk the same way. They dress the same way. They go the same places. They have the short answers. Like, how you doing, brother? Oh, living the dream, friend. Now, if you, that's your answer. That's cool, man. You can keep doing that. But what brings unity inside God's church? Truth, us surrendering to this authority, submitting to this authority, and loving other people. So Paul, he's saying, I'm encouraging unity. But look, he says, he says that, that your hearts will be encouraged knitted together, joined together in love, but then why? Why should we be encouraged? Look at this. And that all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. Y'all know we've been talking about how this church was facing Gnostics, right? Heretics that were coming in. And what they were preaching is that anything physical is bad. And so you have to accept Jesus and then have some sort of deeper spiritual understanding in order for you to have salvation. That's not true. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. So when Paul gets to this part in the letter, you gotta know that all these believers, when they hear that word mystery and full assurance, they're leaning in. Like, wait a minute, he's about to, he's about to tell us what this mystery is. He's about to tell us the, the true way. He's gonna give us that Jesus. What's the something that we need to add to this? What's he gonna give us? What is it? What's the full assurance? What's the mystery of God? Verse two. Christ. That's it. It's the fact that he is God. He's creator. He came and he saw our need and he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life in a physical body. He had a physical body with nerve endings. He was tempted like you are. He was tempted like I am. He, he felt the same pain that we felt, yet he was without sin. See, this is the mystery of God. Why would God send himself to be born of a virgin, to take on nerve endings, to live a perfect life, to teach, to do miracles, only through those same nerve endings and that same physical body endure the pain of the cross? That's the mystery. How could God love us that much? Christ. Why would God love us that much? Christ. How can I be saved? How can I have a relationship with him? Christ. He says, this mystery of God is that Jesus came. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, was on that cross, said, it is finished, shed his blood. They took his lifeless body off the cross, placed it in a borrowed tomb, sealed it with the authority of the Romans. And then three days later, the earth shook. He folded the garments and he came back to life. And anybody that believes in that, they've got it all. So Paul, he's saying, man, I'm agonizing. I want you to know the true gospel, not some gospel that's been added to, which makes it false, not some version in your own mind, not some terrible uh, presentation that you heard from a Sunday school teacher when you were young. The true gospel is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
And so as he lays this out, he says he's, he's encouraging unity. But then the last thing he expresses in his agony, I want you to get this, is that Paul explains the treasure. Now it says down there in verse three, this is another moment when these Colossian believers, they're leaning in y'all, right? They're trying to figure out the answers. Like, what are the answers for life? Like, how do I know that I'm doing what's right? Like, how do I know God's will? How do I know God, right? Things that we wrestle with. He says in verse three, in whom, or a better translation would be in him, are all are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him. What did we hear last week? That Christ is in you, the hope of glory, right? Can I give you just a helpful illustration of what this means? Actually, let me give you some homework, okay? We don't have time, unless y'all wanna stay here until about 2, 2.30, to go through all these scripture references, but I want you to just give this a Google when you get home. All the references in scripture of in him, in Christ, or in Jesus. Go, go look that up. And I want you to memorize those verses because it's something I wanna challenge myself with. So by next week, you should have all these dozen verses memorized. That's settled. We agree. So here's what happens. When you receive Jesus and you receive the good news of him, actually before that, you are empty and void and dead. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two that you and I before Christ, we are children of wrath. We are dead in our trespasses and sins and there is no good thing in us, nothing. But when you receive Christ, what happens to you is Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you in the person of his Holy Spirit and then you are placed in him. Y'all following me here? So a lot of what this looks like, hope I, don't get, I hope I also don't spill this because that would be incredibly awkward. But here's what a lot of this, here's what this looks like. Before you met Jesus, you'll see this little black pot right here. Imagine it empty. You can throw a seed in that thing, but without soil, light, and water, that seed is not gonna grow. That's who you are before you met Jesus. When you trust Jesus, you are, he is placed in you. Ephesians 1.13 says the Holy Spirit is your seal. He has sealed you until the day of redemption. So when you trust Jesus, immediately everything changes. You are forgiven of your sin. You are made righteous. Righteousness of God is deposited in you. And now life is in you. So you go from being dead to now alive. So you go from being this empty black pot that holds nothing to now you are holding life inside of you. You are the vessel that, that holds that. You're the vessel that, is, that God is working in inside of you. Y'all following me here? So when you trust Jesus, that's what God puts in you. And so for us, I don't know why we look for life outside of this. I don't know why we look for wisdom and things like that outside of what's already in us and in God's word, amen? But not only does God do that, but remember, we're broken sinners, right? People still may see our past. They still may see the things that we used to do. You still have a bent towards those things a lot of times. I still sometimes want to do things I don't need to do. I don't know why, it's just that human fleshly nature. When you trust Christ, he's placed in you, life is in you. Y'all see this much prettier vessel right here? Imagine this is Jesus. Jesus comes to live inside of you. And now you're placed in Christ. And you're not seen anymore. They can't see you anymore. What do they see? Something way more beautiful. I wish this was like white or pure or maybe like gold. You know, maybe had like fire coming out. That'd be cool. But see something way more attractive. 
So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, both on the outside and on the inside. When others see you, they should see Jesus and life springing out of it. Was it you that put the life in there? No, but you're participating and you're yielding that fruit as you're connected to the source. So think about this. I'm gonna leave that, um, not centered, just to bother some of y'all. Okay, I'm just gonna do that. In verse three, it says, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. If Christ is in you and you are in Christ, then you're in the spot where all fullness and wisdom dwell. Hold up, Hayden, this says in him, in Jesus is all the fullness of wisdom and the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but it says I'm in him. How can that be? Well, he's eternal. He's in control, he's sovereign. So you are in the same place being in Christ with all the answers. So why would you ever want to remove yourself from being in Christ and look for wisdom elsewhere? Why would you wanna go to social media to let that be your source of theology? Why would you wanna go to all these other places looking for answers, go to the bottle, go to the the pill bottle, go go to, uh, to smoke and go to drink and go to the relationships? Why would you go all these other places looking for what your heart needs and your heart craves when you're already in it? It's like being, being placed in a diamond mine, finding one diamond saying, hey, this can change my life, and then taking all the dirt with you and saying, I'll just settle for this one diamond when there's millions and millions and millions left and treasures unknown, things that we can't even comprehend yet. Why would we move out of what is best for something that's far less satisfying? Paul's agonizing for these believers. He explains the treasure is Christ. Christianity is Christ. Life is Christ. Purpose in life is Christ. Hope is Christ. Victory is Christ. Everything we need is him. So Paul is agonizing over their scriptural beliefs. Let me ask you something. Are you building your life up right here? Are you united and knit together with other believers? Are you looking for wisdom and and knowledge and all these other things in different places? You see, Paul, he's agonizing over their scriptural beliefs. We gotta hurry. Paul then brings awareness about spiritual deception. Second thing, Paul brings awareness about spiritual deception. And he says down there, sandwiched in between these two verses, in verse four, and then in also verse eight, Paul issues this warning. But before we get to the warning, I want you to notice what he says in verse five. He says, though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in the spirit, both joying and beholding, look at this, your order and your steadfastness in the faith in Christ. This is important. Paul recognized in the life of these Colossian believers that they had order and that they were steadfast, at least in this moment. Now, these are two military terms. So Paul's using these words to to recognize that we're in a fight, we're in a battle. That word order, it speaks of this. It speaks of being battle ready and being a disciplined troop. So it's not just at, it's not at the base where you're just kind of lax without your boots on, without your helmet on, where you don't know where your weapon is. Like you are ready for the battle. You're ready for spiritual deception to come your way. You are in one way, like I heard somebody say, you are staying suited and booted. You're ready to go. And so he says, this is the order that I'm talking about. You know what you believe. You're ready for the fight. And then he says, steadfastness. That means having a solid front, surrounding yourself with other believers that will hold you accountable and push you towards the truth. 
Now he says, I see that in you. But then here's what Paul says. In verse four, he says, I am concerned. He says, I, though I'm absent, or excuse me, he says, I say this lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And then in verse eight, he says, beware lest any man spoil you or take you captive from philosophy or vain deceit. So here's what I think we need to understand. When we talk about spiritual deception as pastors and we talk about heresies that are out there and things that we need to be cautious of, the worst thing a Christian can do is have an attitude of apathy. Instead, we should have an attitude of authority. We should understand that when we warn you about spiritual things, when we warn you about the things that are going on in the world, when we warn you that that goes against God's word, we shouldn't yawn and say, oh, that's never gonna affect me or I'm too smart for that, or, or I'll be good on my own, or I don't have to have a devotion life and I won't get caught up in the ways of the world. Paul doubles down here. He's saying, I'm concerned that you're gonna get caught up in, in the, the lies of the enemy. And so look what he says. He lays out two things. He says, beware of enticing words. Enticing words, uh, he says there in, in that word beguiled, it means cleverly deceived with enticing words. Did you know that there's other religions out there that in the words of Skip Heitzig had the same vocabulary as us, but use a different dictionary? You know, there are Muslims. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet and that Jesus ascended into heaven and that Jesus is gonna have a second coming. Do y'all know that? You can sit down at lunch with them and they'll begin to say, yeah, I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe it. I believe he ascended into heaven. And you can sit down at lunch and if that's all you think about and that's all you think, oh man, we're on the same team. They believe Jesus is a prophet. They believe he's coming again. Cool, 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 cool. And you can, what happens is you can be cleverly deceived. What, with, what you don't understand, a lot of times what we don't understand is they believe Jesus was a prophet. They, it's really crazy. Jesus said, I am, I and the father are one. So they believe he's a lying prophet, right? They don't believe that. They also believe that Jesus, when he comes back, that he's gonna restore Islam. That's not true. You and I can be deceived into thinking, oh, we're all on the same team. They believe in Jesus. They believe the same way we do. Mormons, the same way. They, they'll say that he's the son of God. They have a completely different definition of what God is. Why am I, why am I warning you over this? Is because if you're not careful and you don't ask the right questions, hold up. What do you mean when you say Jesus is God? What do you mean when you say Jesus was born of a virgin. What do you believe about the, the atonement? Do you believe that he's the only way to Jesus? If we're not careful and have order and have a steadfastness with a united front, we can easily be deceived, y'all. Now don't hit me with a spirit of apathy right now because it can even happen inside of a Baptist church in just different ways. Pastor Chad hit on this last Sunday night, but it, it happens like this where we can entice people with words and we can, we can say something like this. Hey man, we need to be praying for him. And we'll cleverly deceive somebody into gossip saying that it's prayer request. We'll cleverly deceive people into saying that I can talk trash about my other brothers and sisters inside the church and don't realize that that's one of the sins that God hates. So be careful who you let speak into your life. Also be a believer that is careful how you speak into other people's lives. 
He says, don't be, don't be beguiled, don't be caught up and beware of these enticing words. And then he goes down here in chapter two, verse eight, he says, also beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceits. What this is, is Paul saying, beware of enticing words, but then also beware of empty wisdom. Listen, I, I can say a lot here. We got to hustle. But this whole idea of empty wisdom, this is where unregenerate men try to tell us how to think about marriage Gender, sex, the home, race, all that. And I need you to understand something. An unregenerate man is not plugged into the authority of God's word. So the unregenerate man is only going to speak foolish and unwise things. Be careful. Don't get caught up in that. So, hey, what do I do with this? What do I do with this, this, this warning uh, to not be uh, spiritually deceived? Well, first of all, be careful who you allow your ears to listen to. And I mean, even some of your closest friends, man, if they're, if they're pushing you towards sinful activity and they'd say, oh, you just go do you, boo-boo. You'll be forgiveness. Get a new friend. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> if you're the person that just rattles off advice and you're the friend that you think you're giving good life experience advice, but it's not backed up with scripture, shut your mouth. Be careful who you listen to. There are people on YouTube, there are people on podcasts that sound really good, that are really good communicators, but they are heretics and they are wrong and you need to back everything they say up to scripture. And if you don't have, if you don't have peace about it, if your spirit doesn't jive with them, don't listen to them anymore. So Paul says, beware, and we're gonna hustle through this last point, but he says, he, he starts this whole thing out as a guy that didn't know these people, and he tells them, hey, listen, I want you to know I'm agonizing over your scriptural beliefs. He says, I also want you to beware about spiritual deception, but the third thing I want you to see is Paul admonishes them towards spiritual growth. See, here in verses six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, Paul lays out just a few things that I think we just, we just need to note. He says down here in verse six, he says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, look at this, so ye walk in him. Other translations would say, continue to walk in him. So Paul, when I say he admonishes them and pushes them towards this, Paul is giving a warning to not grow stale in your faith. Don't be stagnant, continue moving on. And so he gives a few things. Notice this. He gives three things. One, he says, he tells them to continue walking in him. And it starts and it continues the same way it started. This is, this is important. Get this. If you're still taking notes, lock in with me for just a few moments. Paul is telling them to progress in their faith. Continue growing. Don't get caught up just holding on to a date when you trusted him. Continue to walk with him hand in hand and grow. I don't remember the day I first started walking, but I remember watching my father walk and I remember watching him, learning from him. I would try to take strides with him, right? This is the language Paul is saying. He's saying, don't just go back to the day you first started walking, continue in that. He says, as you continue with this, he's reminding this, us of, of, of a couple things. First of all, you can remember back in chapter one, Paul reminded us that we have positional holiness in Jesus. So when Jesus looks at us, when God looks at us, when you're saved, he sees that you are holy, unreprovable, and unblameable. Amen? I thought there'd be at least a half a shout. I thought there'd be something. But this is language where he says, don't just stay in that position, continue in it. 
So as believers, we are not only called to rejoice in our positional holiness, but we are called to have behavioral holiness in life. What this means is that you don't, you're not supposed to live a life where you just, oh, I trusted Jesus when I was 12. I trusted Jesus when I was 20. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do the rest of my life, claim grace and think I'm good. That's not it. What this looks like is it reminds me of like, for me and Haley, we got married August 12th, 2016. It's one of the best days of my life. That day, positionally, I became her husband. But how do I prove that? I spend time with her. If I told you today, last time I talked to Haley Crompton was on August 12th, 2016, you would say, you might have a ring and you might have a title of a husband. You, you are not a husband. So why would we ever think that we can just have the title of a Christian to say, oh, I believed in him one time, but I hadn't talked to him since. Paul says, continue in this. Then he says, become established in the faith. He says down there in verse seven, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. The idea of being rooted is what happens as we abide in Jesus. John 15, Psalm chapter one, uh, verses one through six, where he, where he says, it's like a tree planted beside the waters, the living waters, and it will bring forth fruit and, and it, will, it will not be overthrown. And so you think about that, like we're rooting ourselves down deep. It's like this plant, we're bearing roots in the soil of his truth, the soil of his foundation. We're bearing roots down in the good stuff and abiding in him to let him bring forth fruit in our life. And as we do that, we're being built up and people see Jesus in us. One of my good friends, Jordan, he said, oftentimes the most important stuff that happens are the things that are happening underground, not the things that happen above ground. If you wanna continue to grow, spend time in his word. Spend time knowing him, abiding in him. What that looks like is just by spending time in God's word each day, praying. Don't feel like you have to read 40 chapters a day to abide in him. If it's one verse and you're just meditating, murmuring over it all day and night, you're just beginning to dig your roots down in there and you're abiding in him. So Paul, he says, listen, I'm admonishing you to continue to grow spiritually. How do you do that? You continue to walk. You become established in the faith. And then he says, rejoice. End of verse seven, he says, abounding therein with thanksgiving. What do we rejoice in? We rejoice in that the fact that in him is treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. We rejoice in the fact that in him, verse nine, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. We rejoice that in him, you're redeemed, that in him, you are forgiven, that in him is life and life abundantly. You wanna continue? Live a life of joy knowing that he's in you and you're in him. See, we started this message out with me telling you a story when somebody forgot my name. That was a few years ago still haunts me to this day. That's neither here nor there. I actually have more stories about people forgetting my name. Somebody else called me Henry not long ago. It's kind of cool. But I mentioned at the beginning of this message that you can have a, an effective ministry and make an impact on people without knowing their name. But I need to, I need to remind you of something. You cannot be an effective Christian and make an impact on this kingdom when you don't know his name beginning of this letter, it says in verse one, look, look there with me, look down in verse one. If you close your Bible, I know we're over. It'll be fine. In verse one, it says, I want you to know this great conflict that I have for you. And then Paul says, for you and for them where? And for them where? 
in Laodicea. If you were to fast forward into Revelation chapter three, and you look at the seven letters that Jesus wrote and spoke to the churches, you get to the last church and it was the church at Laodicea. Jesus says, I know your works. He says, I know that you're wealthy, you have all that you need, but he says in that passage, he says, I know that you're neither hot nor cold, but you're what? You're lukewarm. Now, a lot of times we use this as a phrase to say like, all right, listen, like um, this, you gotta be hot for Jesus or just choose not to follow him. You gotta be on fire for Jesus. You gotta do all this stuff, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and just go. But when you study this out, there's something interesting about the city of Laodicea. This city had man-made water uh, systems underneath the city. Thank you, Greg, I appreciate that. Water systems under the city, but one of the things that they did is they didn't do a very good job of allowing that water to continue to run. And so in that city, if you were to go get water, you were getting stagnant, nasty water. So if you were parched that day, you would go get it and you might try to take a drink, but it is gonna cause you to just get sick. You just could not drink that water. But not far up the road in Colossae were these cool springs of water. Not far up the road, nine miles in another city are these hot springs of water. What is Jesus modeling for us? He's reminding us that the church at Laodicea got away from the true source. See, if you were to go to that hot spring city and get a, get a bucket full of hot water, by the time you walk nine miles back to your place, you know what that water's gonna turn into? Lukewarm, nasty water. It's gonna be ineffective. Last thing I'll say about this church in Laodicea and then we'll be done. In Revelation 3, the Bible says that Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I, I knock. Why was Paul so concerned with the people in Laodicea, with the Colossian believers? Why was he so concerned with them? Because he knew that if they got away from their source, they may have all the things that look like a church. They may have all the things that, that circumstantially look good. They may have wealth. They may have everything that, that is pretty on the outside, but they forgot the name of the one that owns it. You see, for us as believers, we have to understand that we are not complete in our own self. We are complete only in Christ Jesus. So as we go into a time of invitation, I have just a few questions for you and, and we'll have a time to respond and deal with whatever God's put on our heart. First, has there ever been a time in your life where you trusted Jesus? I mean, truly, like put your faith in Jesus, repented of your sins, turn from where you used to be and, and allowed his life to come in you. If, if there's never been that time in your life, uh, our pastors will be up here. We would love nothing more than to take God's word and just show you how you can allow Jesus to come and be in you and you can be in him and you can have salvation and have life changed today. If that's you, we would love nothing more than to show you how that can be true. Maybe for you, you're looking at this message and you're thinking, man, I've drift, drifted away from the source. I'm, I'm living stagnantly. And maybe you've been deceived spiritually. Maybe uh, you're, you're looking for wisdom in all the wrong places. How about today? Come down and just do business with the Lord and say, Lord, I want, I want to be the kind of believer that continues to grow spiritually. I want to have positional and behavioral holiness. I want to continue walking with you. I want to be rooted in you. I want to be built up in you. And I want, to, I want people to just see the joy flowing right out of me.
If that's you, just come do business with the Lord there, there in your seats or even down here. But maybe you wanna join the church or um, get baptized, whatever it might be. Whatever it is that the Lord has put on your heart, I just wanna encourage you to do so. So y'all stand to your feet. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna have a time of response. Father, we love you. God, we know that we only love you because you first loved us. And so today, God, we just pray that you would just meet with us. And if there are people here that need to be saved, that today would be the day that they trust Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.